0: And if you have a financial question today, you can call our studio line, 651-461-9226. You can also call this number 247 advice Again, 651-461-9226 for your financial questions. Once again, here's the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Denny Long. It's just you and I again today, just like the old days. Well, I, I hate to think, well, I don't hate to think about it, but I, I'm i trying to think of the amount of years that we've been together. I think it's getting close to another digit, is it not?
1: <laughs> yeah. So we started together, you and I. Um, technically, we, we weren't a full-time show, but we did. Um, I, I guested on your weekend show a handful of times in 1996, and then you and I started this Weekly show together in January of 1997. So oh, I don't know. I can't add that up. 26 years, almost. It's, 30, it's getting close to
0: 30. I know that, but <laughs> well, uh, Peg, Peg is uh, Peg is off today. We can mention that uh, right away. Uh, and uh, but again, we certainly do welcome uh, calls and text messages uh, the whole hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I got a, I got a couple things I want to go through today, but it will not take up all of our time. So hopefully. Uh, especially in the second half of the show, or even in the first half, if they want to jump in, uh, listeners can call 651-461-9226. Uh, I think the show is always better when uh, listeners contribute. But, Danny, a couple things I wanted to uh, get after today. I just got done after, you know, two and a half years of not being able to do it. I just got done with uh, our fall uh, kind of uh, uh, event uh where I went out and did speaking engagements or seminars, whatever you want to call them. Um, I kind of did my fall tour and I did about a dozen speaking engagements, uh, not just in Minnesota, but in other states as well. And I really got a sense of what people are thinking about and are worried about. And, you know, and obviously market concerns. It's been a very, very bad year in the market, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, they don't want to just talk about, where it's been or how bad it's been, although that obviously comes up, but they want to know where it's going. And that's the tricky part, because of course, nobody ever knows for sure. But I'm, I want to come back to that. But it made me think about, and this has been an ongoing theme um, through since the inception of our show together, going back to 1997, we occasionally do a show where we focus on the noise out there and where people get their information. And it's it's kind of a two-edged sword, because on the one hand, I think people need to educate themselves about personal finance. They need to read. They they need to look things up. They need to find things out. They need to understand things. But then you get to a point where, how do you know who to trust? if you If you do your research, and most people don't buy books anymore, most people get their information online somehow on the internet, and you might see... Two articles that take a completely contrarian approach to one another, and and how do you know what to believe? There's a, so there's a lot of what we call noise. There's just a lot of noise out there, and so you're out there trying to get your financial in, uh, in, information and education to help yourself, so you know what to do, and and how do you know what to believe? And and who whatever you're seeing. Many times whoever provided that information has got some sort of vested interest or ulterior motive to try to get you to take action. So I guess the first thing I would tell all of our listeners is, you know, tr- tr- I think Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. So if you see something or read something, double, you know, double check, get, get more than one reference, find, find someone uh, other resource that verifies the, the first information that you got. Even me, I tell people, don't take my word for it, whether you're listening to a radio show or hearing me at a speaking engagement or seeing me on TV. Don't take my word or on a one-on-one meeting. It's okay to, to, to listen and take notes and then go out and, and see if you can verify by doing your own due diligence that what I said is accurate. And so so much of the information that people get is either intentionally misleading, or maybe is accurate but irrelevant, um, or maybe it's just flat out wrong or a lie. And, and a lot of uh, a lot of what what gets people excited and in, and in, in this noise out there is fear marketing. So a lot of people are getting emails uh, on their on the internet, or sometimes even a snail mail brochure. And it'll be something like, you know, the the world, the sky is falling. And here's Bill Burditzman. He called the crash in 2008. And here's what Bill says you have to do with your money now. And for only uh, $79 a year to get this newsletter, you too can get the secret of how to save yourself from the next market crash. So you get these... It, you get these emails and you get these brochures and you think boy I got to protect myself and so it's fear they are playing on your fear now I, again I said sometimes you know it's not an outright lie but it's misleading so maybe bill bruditzman did predict the crash of 2008 but you dig a little bit deeper and you find out he predicted 100 other crashes that never actually happened so i i always say a stop clock is going to be right twice a day that doesn't make that person, an expert, just because they're always calling for a down market, and in two thousand and eight, they actually had one, so they can claim they, you know that they predicted it so there's so much stuff out there, and again, you don 't know what to believe, you don 't know what to trust, and, and again, I just tell everyone, you know double check, check your source wherever you're getting uh, particular information, um, do they have an ulterior motive or a vested interest? So where are some other places people get information? Obviously, commercials. Now, again, the commercials that I see, I don't want to say that they're, that they're lying or they're misleading, but I would say that they're, they're oftentimes irrelevant. They'll talk about something that sounds good in a commercial, but when I apply it to the real world or practical application, I'm not really sure how it, how it helps anybody or does anything. The other thing that I've noticed with regard to commercials, and, and, and I'm actually uh, honored and flattered by this, a lot of our industry, um, not that they necessarily looked at Wealth Enhancement Group and said we want to be like them, although I think some of that maybe did happen, but the commercial commercials always used to be about Returns or the research that our team does, and the and the lengths we go to to make sure that you know we get the best ROI on your money. And the commercials have turned to more of a relationship, and we're in this together. I know UBS went to you and us, and that's the type of approach that Wealth Enhancement Group has always had from the beginning. We've seen the industry. Actually, over the years, in a lot of ways, um, kind of start to follow our lead. Things that we did all the time out on the road. You know, a lot of a lot of people that came to my speaking engagement said, "Are you a fiduciary?" And my answer was, "Yeah, we were a fiduciary before it became cool to be a fiduciary. We've we've always been a fiduciary." So let's talk about that for a second. What does that even mean? It's become a you know a buzz phrase: fiduciary standard versus suitability standard. Suitability means if you're working with an advisor, the advice that they give you must be suitable. Well, that seems obvious, but there can be a lot of different answers to a financial situation that are suitable. Um, Obviously, there's some things that are not suitable, but within the range of suitable, there's a lot of choices. And is the advisor giving the best possible information or giving you a suitable recommendation but that also this uh, recommendation is better for them somehow, that the, the advice is based not only on what's good for you, but what's good for them. If you're a fiduciary, you must always give the best possible advice that you can. That's the standard and not everybody, you know, works to that standard. But you basically I tell people, we work for you. We don't work for Wall Street. We don't work for a big giant Wall Street firm. We work for you. And again, going back to our beginning point of noise, recognize that a lot of the media, the lot, a lot of the shows, a lot of the places where people get information, the sponsors or the, you know, the, the people that put out those shows, are big companies on Wall Street, and might they want to influence the consuming public uh, to do things that might be good for them? Of course they do. And that's okay, but we just need to, to understand that. So again, take everything with a grain of salt and try to verify uh, someplace else other than the first place you got the information. The other commercials uh, that I wanted to mention, and I'm going to mention a specific name here, and I think I'm okay doing this. Some people say, how can you talk about your competition? Aren't you afraid you'll promote them instead of your own company? And I I think competition's great. I welcome competition. So, no, it doesn't bother me to do that. But a lot of listeners, I'm sure, have seen um, uh, commercials by Fisher Investments. They do a lot of TV ads. They do a lot of ads. On sports events, golf tournaments, football games. Sometimes they take out a whole page in, you know, national publications, and and the theme is pretty consistent. Fisher Investments. Our fees are structured so we do better when you do better. Talk, you know, to the client. A lot of our clients come from other money managers. Um, we don't sell commission products. You know, the, the, those are the really running theme of the commercial, and they're accurate in terms of. How Fisher works, how their business model works. The wealth enhancement group business model is exactly the same. I actually like to draw reference to Fisher because, again, people have seen the commercials and they have a reference point that that they can relate to. So I'll say, well, you know, how, the, how Fisher works. If you're if you're trying to understand my firm, it starts like that. The fee is based; it's a flat percentage based on the assets under management. So if your account grows, we take the same percentage, but of a bigger number. So we win when you win. If your account shrinks in value, we don't do as well. The fees are transparent. We are motivated. We are incentivized, as is Fisher, to, to, uh, to, to try to do the best we can for our clients because we're in the boat together. And, the, and I think that's a really good approach. And Fisher's obviously had great success with that approach. But let me draw some differences between, say, our firm and Fisher they they go to great lengths to talk about, you know, that they don't sell commissioned products. Well, Wealth Enhancement Group does. And the implication on the ad, I think, is that if you do that, you're violating your fiduciary obligation somehow. And, and the reality is, is that at Wealth Enhancement Group, we, we are a hybrid firm, meaning we have an affiliation with a broker-dealer, but we're also a registered investment advisor. And when you're a hybrid, you can do some of these other uh, strategies, and then the other thing about you know the the world of uh, investment management, so many of the commercials and so much of what's out there is focused on return on investment or investment management or whatever, and that is a subset of financial planning. We all know that and and that's the part that's the most interesting to a lot of people. what's your rate of return what you know I think our clients would say the most value added part of the relationship though is the financial planning, not just the money management. Now, what does financial planning mean? And again, this mush mash of noise out there, a lot of people say financial planning that really aren't. So a financial planner, Danny and listeners, they're going to do things like uh, uh, future value forecasting. If you're If you're wondering what age can I retire at, we'll do projections to say Here's the age we think you can retire at. Here's the income we think you can take at retirement without running out of money before you die. We'll build in an inflation factor onto that income because your cost of living won't stay the same. That's, that's financial planning or, or doing a, an analysis of your pension or your Social Security to determine when and how you should draw those benefits, or tax reduction strategies or like Roth conversion analysis, or um, uh, uh, retirement income planning. These are all things that we do with our client standard operating procedure that not everyone in the industry does, and there's obviously a value to that, sometimes quantifiable, this strategy saved you X amount of dollars in taxes. We can put a number on it. We can see it. And it's quantifiable. But most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, clients tell me. And again, I got a lot of this when I was out there on these speaking engagements because some of the folks that came were already existing clients. I got a lot of this simplify my life. With you guys in my life, I have more time to pursue the things that really matter to me, spending time with my grandkids, traveling, playing golf, fishing, whatever it is. And I don't worry so much about my money. I sleep better at night, and I know you guys have got my back, and you're watching it for me. So, again, with all the stuff that's out there, who's really doing financial planning versus just investment management? Not that there's anything wrong with investment management. That's obviously you know a big part of it, but it's just one subset of, of comprehensive financial planning. Um, this, that I... This always goes faster than I think it will, so let me speed up a little bit because I know we're already just a couple minutes from our first break. Other ways that people get information, shows, TV shows that tell you how to go about investing. Um, Nothing wrong with those, but my attitude has always been if they really knew how to do it, why would they share that information with you? They would just do it themselves and make all kinds of money, so I'm I'm a little skeptical about that. Or there's shows that tell you what to invest in. That one really concerns me because I've always felt as a financial advisor that I can't really advise a client on a lot of things, particularly where and how they should invest their money, unless I know about them, what's important to them, what makes them tick how much risk are they willing to take what rate of return do they need to achieve their goals and objectives those things all matter and influence the advice i get so for so for shows and or solicitations from my industry that say you should buy EBC or you should buy XYZ i'm like well how do you know that you you I mean you don't even you're, you're you're casting this out to an audience that you don't even know Uh, anything about them? How can you know that this investment is appropriate? And the story that I always tell, and maybe this will take us to the end of our first half, I've told this story for years. So people listening today that have been with us for a long time have heard this story before. It's It's a true story. This isn't something, a media thing. This was actually a direct solicitation. I got a phone call once years ago, um, this is before the day where you could you know, screen your calls, but somebody called me, and they started to try to sell me an investment over the phone, an IPO, an initial public offering. And they clearly had their pitch, and I was listening to them trying to figure out you know, whether I just hang up or how I got out of this call. And I listened for a while, and finally I, I, I interjected, my, and I thought, boy, this has got to be tough, selling something to a complete stranger over the phone you've never met never shook hands with them, don't know anything about them. That's got to be a tough way to make a living, but they must do it. People must buy things because they're in business. So all these things went through my mind, but finally when I jumped in, I said, well, wait a minute, how do you know this investment is appropriate for me? And it kind of led them right back into their spiel. Oh, it's a, it's a new technology. It's a ground floor opportunity. It's a new company. This is a good investment for everybody. It's going to be a moonshot, blah, 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 right back into the, into the pitch. And I interrupted and stopped them again. They said, but wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. That would be like if I called you up and I said I'm selling 50-pound bags of dog food for 10 cents a bag, you'll never see dog food this cheap again as long as you live. How many bags of dog food do you want? Well, if you don't own a dog, you don't want any bags of dog food. But yet in in the investment world, sometimes our, our own industry is guilty of this. And certainly the, the noise and the information out there that tries to tell you specific investments you should buy, specific stocks or Icelandic CDs or or, or Bitcoin or whatever it is, and they don't know anything about the consumer that's, that's gathering that information. Denny, I can't advise somebody on the right thing to do unless I know about them and what makes them tick. So again, this noise out there and people taking action Oftentimes, it's not going to be in their best interest. And, and I, I feel like I was on a rant, and that 20 minutes went fast. But I know we're already coming up uh, to the end of our uh, first segment. And maybe in the second half, we'll listen more to listeners and less to me.
0: Some good information, Bruce, nonetheless. Uh, coming up, if you have a financial question for Bruce, you can call it in or text it in. By all means, we do welcome uh, yours, 651 now, if you think of something midweek, we have a phone number, too, you can call and uh, just uh, leave your question, 1-888-6-ADVICE. But do call us now, 651-461-9226. Again, that's either for a phone call or a text, 651-461-9226. Back with more of your money. If you happen to have a financial question, you can call this number, twenty four seven one eight 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 six 6 advice and you can also email your questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. But right now, during the show, you can call or text our studio line, and we urge you to do so, 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Once again, this here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Bruce?
1: Thank you, Danny Long, and uh, listeners that are big fans of Peg Webb. Peg's got the week off, and I know what you're thinking. Peg's always the smart one that knows the answers to all of your questions. I thought the same thing this morning, trying to do this by myself. But we'll still take your questions, and I'll, I'll do the best I can. Uh, and, Danny, if uh, you know if, if texts and calls uh, don't come in, I, I've actually accumulated some questions uh, from the road, I, I was out on my f- uh, fall speaking tour and uh, engaged with a lot of people in a lot of places and uh, accumulated a couple questions that we'll weave into the program today. But let me let me tie a bow around our topic. So we've been talking about noise and where you get financial information and what is the source of that information? Do they have an ulterior motive or a vested interest to try to get you to take action that might be good for them, may or may not be good for you? And I talked about verifying, and don't take anybody at their word, including me. Um, Go double-check what I say and see if you can verify uh, what I say. I I, I would tell you that, again, whether it's a radio show or a speaking engagement or a one-on-one meeting, everything I say is accurate to the best of my knowledge, but some things are not black and white. Some things are are gray, and there's opinion uh, involved. And two smart people, two ethical people, honest people might have a difference of opinion on certain things. Personal finance is not always an exact science. Now, Danny, I I, I promised also I wanted to get to this. You know what people are asking me about, um, both in you know in my in my one-on-one meetings, but when I was out on the road. And of course, it's the market returns this year, and and you know where's it going. And I, I have to preface, so again, I can tell you where it's been, and, and people know that, but a couple things I want to reemphasize with listeners. Number one, don't worry about things that you can't control because you can't control them. We can't control the stock market any more than we can control the weather. So I can't make it not rain, but I can throw a jack, uh, you know, a raincoat or an umbrella in the car when I, when I leave in the morning. Or if it got cold, I can't control that, but I can control whether I wear a, you know, a sweater or bring a jacket with me. With the stock market, I can't control where it's going to go, but there's things that we can do that when it's bad, we can ease some of that pain or ease some of that burden. So some of the things that Wealth Enhancement Group has done this year for clients, we've, we've, uh, one is on non-IRA portfolios, we did something called tax loss harvesting. This is a benefit to our clients, and it's a benefit to their ultimate return on investment because we give them a tax deduction for losses. And at the end of the day, when you're looking at your ROI, it's your after-tax return or the money you actually get to keep that is most significant. So overly simplistically explained, tax loss harvesting is where we go into your portfolio and let's say we sell position A. And position A is, let's say, it's a large-cap domestic growth fund. And 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 I know what people are thinking, even as I say that. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean you sell, Bruce? I've heard you say for whatever it is, 27 years, you know, buy when it's low, sell when it's high. Don't sell. Why would we sell now when the market's down 20 some percent? Well, we simultaneously buy position B. We sell A and we buy B, which is also a large cap domestic growth fund. So we've kept you in the position of large cap domestic growth. But by selling A and locking in that loss, you get to take that as a tax deduction. You can deduct up to $3,000 a year in losses So even while you're in position B and when the market recovers, and it will, you will recover, you still get to take those losses on your tax return. That's a huge advantage. That's a huge addition to total return on investment after taxes. Some of the other things that we did that might be a little less profound, um, because we had high inflation we put investments in the portfolios. We overweighted a little bit in things that usually do well in inflationary times. We've got some some TIPS or Treasury uh, uh, inflation protected I bonds in the portfolios. Uh, maybe more stocks that declare dividends in the portfolios. Uh, maybe more things like uh, precious metals, uh, gold and silver, other precious metals, com- oil, and other commodities. So those are things that we did to you know to try to improve the overall return on the portfolio or reduce the risk. And this has been a really bad year. And we've talked about it before, but it bears repeating. It's been a bad year because most of the time, but not all the time, as we're finding out this year, but most of the time, most people will have stocks and bonds in their portfolio. And they do that at our urging frequently, because stocks and bonds, most of the time, have a converse relationship. If stocks are doing bad, then bonds do well, and vice versa. If bonds are are doing bad, then stocks do well. 2022 has been one of those particularly onerous years where both stocks and bonds are doing poorly, and that's why people all over the, and not just all over the country, all over the world, are opening up their statements every month or every quarter and seeing a shrinking number and going, what's going on? There's been very few safe harbors this year where investment managers can go to make a decent return, because stocks and bonds have both been beaten up. So what are the headwinds that have caused with this, and where are we going? Everybody's heard about inflation. Everybody's experiencing inflation. You experience it at the gas pump. You experience it at the grocery store. Have you bought butter lately? I mean, I get it. I know it's, it's been painful. Uh, last week on the show, we talked about one of the silver linings in this inflation cloud, and that's the increase of 8.7% to your Social Security benefit. And again, that's not going to pay for all your butter and gas, but it eases the pain a little bit. So inflation is a big one. That's a big headwind. Uh, Because of inflation, the Fed is raising interest rates. That's a two-edged sword. That's bad for borrowers, but good for savers. Uh, We've heard about these supply chain issues. So let me just say, first of all, that I think inflation was predictable and inevitable. When you come out of a global pandemic the pent-up demand for people to want to go buy stuff again, go travel again, get on an airplane, uh, uh, go go to restaurants. I knew there was going to be tremendous demand by consumers. I don't think anybody quite knew how short we would fall in terms of being able to supply uh, that demand. So when there's way more demand than there is supply, that's what causes and that's, you know, fundamentally or over, slightly oversimplistically what causes inflation. So I, I was pretty confident that we were going to have inflation. I don't think it'll be long term personally. And by the way, this is not unique to America. The political parties like to point fingers at each other when things are going bad and thump themselves on the chest and take credit when things are going good. Most of the time, it doesn't have very, it has very little to do with, with politics. This is, if, if it was only, if America was the only company, country having this issue, then, then, you know, politicians could try to blame each other. But this is a global event. This is not just in America. In fact, we are actually way better off than most other countries. This, this inflation is global, and the two big headwinds that we face One of them is that China is still basically shut down their economy, and that's the second largest economy in the world next to the U.S. If China's not importing and exporting, of course that's going to impact the global economy. And that one I think self-corrects. And a lot of these, again, this inflation, this uh, going back into a post-pandemic new normal, whatever that's going to look like, and it's going to look a little bit different than before the pandemic – a lot of those things, those those headwinds, solve themselves as we figure it out and get back to the new normal. But here's the one that I don't see a solution for, and this is the one that is still most disconcerting for me, and that's the war in the in the Ukraine. Um, I don't know exactly what percent of the of the world's crude oil Russia supplies, but it's a lot, and that's not available now. And I had read somewhere, and I didn't know this before the war started, that the Ukraine supplies about 13% of the world's food. And that's not available right now. So that's a huge economic impact on the entire world. And beyond those obvious economic influences, there's the emotional uh, influence. We always talk about that, that markets don't like uncertainty. Well, what could possibly be more uncertain than Vladimir Putin? How does this thing end? What's the end game? I, I don't see it. I don't know what happens. Ukraine is never going to surrender. Um, what what is it going to take to get Putin out of there and stop this war? I just don't know, and I don't see an end in sight. And as long as this war goes on, I'm concerned about our economy and all the things that we talked about. Uh, Again, inflation, interest rates, supply chain shortages, I think that stuff all solves itself as we come back out of the pandemic and understand how we're going to deal with this world of COVID that we live in now. But the war in the Ukraine is the one that's most concerning. So I am not optimistic that we're going to see a quick recovery as long as that war is going on. However, it's entirely possible that we're off the bottom, that we've seen the low And it's not going to get lower than than it was. It's just not going to, you know, dramatically get back in the black anytime soon either. Now, one last thing I'll share from a historical perspective, Denny and and listeners, and then we'll get listeners involved, Denny. Um, This is the fifth time, this year was the fifth time that the S&P 500 has been down 20% or more at the six-month mark at the end of June. And I can tell you that the previous four times that this has happened, one year later, it, we've, been, we've, we've recovered historically the previous other four times. And then if you go out three years and five years, not only have we recovered, but we've had robust returns where investors would have way more than they had before the market retraction at three years and five years that's not a guarantee that that will happen this time. And again, I've already expressed why I'm concerned about the short-term, the war in Ukraine. But I have every confidence that investors in, in stocks will be rewarded three, five, 10 years down the road, even if you're not rewarded yet in the next six months. And let's not forget what we're investing in. We throw around these terms, Dow and S&P, and here's the number, and it's this many points down, it's this percentage down. What you're investing in is companies. And if we're investing in good, well-run, smart, innovative companies they will go up in value over time and give you a return on your investment. Will there be times where they don't? Yes, we're in one. That always happened. It always has happened. It'll happen again in the future. But every market retraction we've ever had, we have had a recovery. This will be no different. This too shall pass. So my my people don't want to hear this, Denny, but my advice is, stay the course. Don't panic. Don't get out of the market. If you're contributing to your 401k with every paycheck, for gosh sakes, don't stop. Keep doing it because now you're buying in low. You want to buy low, sell high. So keep making your contributions like you were and just follow your plan. If your plan made sense, Ten months ago, it still makes sense today. It doesn't suddenly not make sense just because we had a market retraction. So try to hang in there. Try not to worry about things you can't control because guess what, you can't control it anyway. All right, uh, if we've got some calls and texts, Danny, let's uh, let's plug the number and let's get listeners involved.
0: Absolutely, Bruce. Six five one four six one nine two two six. That number will work for either a phone call or a text. Six five one. Four six one nine two two six. Here's one, Bruce. It said, we just inherited $600,000 and are wondering what would be some good places to put that money in this economy. We are 67 years old and just retired this year. We have no outstanding debts and have adequate retirement accounts for a comfortable but not extravagant lifestyle. There's one for you.
1: Okay, that's a great text um, and, a, and a great question. So whether it's six hundred thousand or sixty thousand, the first thing I would say is what what is the time frame of before you might want to take withdrawals or use some of this money now it kind of almost sounds like the way they frame the question. they have enough money in retirement plans that maybe they think they don't need any of this money in which case I would say that that's a permission slip to go ahead and invest in some investments that might have risk of principal like the stock market it's also arguably a very good time to invest in the stock market because it's down considerably from its high that said again 67 or 47 i don't think i would tell someone to take $600,000 and put all of it in the stock market i think i would put a, a fairly high percentage into a diversified stock market type of portfolio but I would also probably carve out a cash position. I, you know, again, I think cynical people, Danny, look at people that do what I do for a living and they think, you know, we want all their money. And I coach clients all the time and I personally like to keep a lot of cash. And I think the older you get, the closer you get to retirement or if you're in retirement, the more cash that you need, and, and there's a lot of reasons, but the single biggest reason in my mind is, if you if you have to take retirement income from a retirement plan, ideally you're not going to have to sell stocks when the market is down. So if you if you have a cash position that you can use, then you can draw cash if stocks are down. If stocks are up and you want to sell and take winnings off the table and lock in gains, that's great. But we never want clients to have to sell stocks at an inopportune time. And this is the biggest reason for diversification. And this is the biggest reason why I think most people need a cash position. So how much of that 600000 into stocks, how much into cash, that that's gonna be, you know, that's never gonna be an exact science, that's gonna really be driven by some other variables including but not limited to. Where are your other investments in your retirement plans? What's your risk tolerance? What's your desired rate of return? Is legacy planning a high priority to you or not? So there's a lot of things, Denny, that I would find out additionally beyond what they had. They had a lot of good information in the text, but there's some more things I would find out. But from 10,000 feet, based on their circumstances, I would put a good chunk of that 600,000 in the stock market, and I think it's a great time to do
0: it. I think we have time for another one, Bruce. Uh, Here's one. It says, can you explain a Roth conversion of my traditional 401k that I can't tap into for another 10 years? How does the taxing in that work?
1: Yep. Great question. And uh, we this was one we talked about a lot uh, on the road also. So uh, I'm not surprised that we got that in a text. So if you have a traditional 401k, and more and more people, by the way, are getting Roth 401k options where their, where their contribution to their 401k is not a deduction. It's not a pre-tax dollar. It's an after-tax dollar. And it, it will ultimately provide tax-free income just like a Roth does. But if you have a traditional 401k and you want to try to get that money to Roth, which might be a very appropriate strategy, it's going to be a two-step process. First, you you have to roll your traditional 401k into a traditional IRA. It cannot go directly to Roth. That is not a taxable event. Now, it sounded like to me in the text like this person might still be working so your, your 401k has to allow for something called in-service distributions, meaning that you can roll part of your 401k to an IRA while you're still working at that company and still contributing to your 401k plan. If it does not allow for in-service distributions, there's probably nothing you can do until you retire or separate service from that company. But but either way, whether it's an in-service distribution or whether you've separated service from that company, the first step is to move the traditional 401k to a traditional IRA. That is not a taxable event. Now, when you're in the traditional IRA, we would look and say, does it make sense to convert any of this to Roth? And if so, how much? And what we're going to look at, Danny, is the tax consequence. Because whatever gets converted is treated like a withdrawal from that tax deferred account, and it's taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So the texters seem to want to know what, what you know what's the tax bracket. It's added to all of your other taxable income, and whatever bracket that taxable income puts you in, the 10% bracket, 12% bracket, 22% bracket, whatever your bracket is, that's the percentage of income that you're going to pay on that conversion. And that's why Oftentimes, we will look at a conversion, and we might say, it doesn't make sense right now. The tax is too high. The cost is too high. We don't want to do it. But that same client, maybe a year later, they've retired. Now they don't have a paycheck anymore, and they haven't taken a lot of money out of their investments they, they don't have to take required minimum distribution yet. Maybe they haven't even turned on Social Security yet, and maybe they dropped from a 24% tax bracket down to a 10 or a 12 Now we say now it makes sense to convert enough of that traditional IRA to soak up the low bracket you're in until we bump into that 22 or 24% bracket again. And we might do that several years in a row. So that analysis in terms of when to do it and how much to do it is standard operating procedure for us. Again, it's a subset of comprehensive financial planning. And I think it's an important part because doing that right is going to make a huge difference in your life and your retirement and the amount of income that you can take. And it's one more way of assuring you don't run out of money before you run out of breath. And Denny, I know we're close to the end again. I'm sorry I got on a rant and we couldn't get more questions in, but uh, those are both good
0: texts. And always good information, Bruce. Thanks. Always good to hear from you again. If you want to ask a question uh, in a few days before the next show, call 888-6-ADVICE, 24-7 that's available to you. You can always email questions at yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. Those numbers, again, 888-6-ADVICE. And again, for any email questions, by all means, send them to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. Join us next time for another edition of Your Money.